This is SAFM. Thanks very much, Kerit. And uh, this is SAFM Literature coming to you from Cape Town. Gosh, all these movies being banned. What's going on? It sort of smacks of the old days, does it not? Well, let me tell you what we've got coming up here on Literature. Three hours of words and books and thoughts about both with something of an educational and a youth bias on the show today. I'm uh, Nancy Richards here in Cape Town together with uh, the Skippers, older and younger. In Johannesburg, we have Suru Pelo and Kenya Bolani, and we have you. If you'd like to join us at any stage, you're so welcome. You can give us a call on 0892 or you can send us a text, uh, you can send us an SMS on 34701 and tell us your thoughts. Let me tell you, though, what we've got, what our thoughts have been in lining up the show today. First up in our hero slot, Shadows. Well, Shadows is a book written by Novoyo Rosa Chuma. It's a debut novel, or novella, I should say, and uh, also it's, it's part of a collection uh, of short stories. And it's a very powerful debut, too, from this young Zimbabwean-born writer of whose father once said of her that there are signs that she is turning into a bibliophile. Well, I would say those signs have manifest. And then after that text, after that open access, Associate Professor Laura Chenowich of the Centre for Higher Education and Development at the University of Cape Town is going to be talking to us about the dynamic new issue of open access. should be interesting. Then after the news at 2, book 2, we're going to be talking to Johannesburg author Gail Schimmel, and her story is called Whatever Happened to the, the Cowley Twins? Well, having just finished it, I can tell you it's, it's at once both uh, hysterical and a little bit scary, and just loaded with social issues of the day, so we'll unpack just a few of those. Around about 20 past 2, or thereabouts, 25 past 2, Bookshelf, we have a reader today. She's partially sighted 19-year-old Sapang Manyani. She's a student at Rosebank College in Pretoria, and she's doing uh, journalism. She's in her final year. She likes to read and write and research about books, so we'll be finding out what she's been reading about right now. Well, later on, after two. Then our story section, that comes up around about half past two or thereabouts Also, We've got two stories in this feature today. First, I Am Somebody. It's an organisation whose vision is to reconcile South Africa through its youth. And yesterday they had a, a bit of a storytelling session. Well, we'll kind of eavesdrop into that to find out what the outcomes were. We'll be talking to founder Nicole LaRue and also participant Asanda Msutu. And then story two, as it were, we'll be chatting a little bit about script writing. Well, what is it exactly and how different is it and how difficult is it? How much more difficult is it from, say, novel writing? Well, if script writing is something that's ever, you know, you've thought that it may be something to which you could turn your hand, do stay with us for that one. We're going to be talking to scriptwriter and trainer. She's Julie Hall. After the news at three, it's Fireside Time. Roger Webster will be bringing us a toe-warming story of a seer, a predictor. So listen up for that one. And then finally, back page. Well, we've definitely got South Africa's youth in focus again because we're going to be talking about the new Activate supplement. It's been introduced to the Sunday Times and it's aimed at young people who are wanting to transform their communities in whatever way, whatever talent they have. That's what they're going to be using going to be talking to a guy who certainly sounds like an activator. He's a team member. He's Terence Madiba. And, but very finally, to close, the Sunday play. It's another one by Rob Marsh, and it's called The Lost City of the Kalahari. So stay with us for all of that. Don't forget, if you'd like to share, it's 0892102010, And if you want to send us an SMS, it's 34701. This is SAFM. Did indeed SAFM and it's SAFM Literature talking about books and words and all of the above. It's sort of 
as I put on our Facebook page or my Facebook page just now, it's a bit of a late literary lunch. Hope you're going to stay with us right through until tea time. Well, our hero, our first up slot is called Hero, and our hero today is a book called Shadows. It's published by Quella, and it's a debut book, including a novella and a collection of short stories. It's written by Novoyo Rosatsuma, and uh, Shadows, the title, is a, a very sharp reflection, I'd say, of the harsh realities of daily life in Zimbabwe, and what seem to be the even harsher realities of life for a foreigner in Johannesburg. And the short stories follow similar themes. Well, it's, it's unexpectedly lyrically written in style, given the content. But what's interesting, I have to say, is what has molded Novoyo herself? She is, in fact, in our Johannesburg studio, having given us all heart failure because she was running a bit late. But she can tell us all about that, too. But um, what I can tell you about Novoyo is that her father, Dr. Lawrence Sumai, who is a lawyer, intellectual, and a writer, he once said of his daughter when she was very young that there are indications that she might turn into a bibliophile. Whilst her mother, her mathematics teacher, was the firm hand under whose talents I sprouted, and I quote her. We've got her in our Joburg studio. Hi, Novoyo. Good afternoon, Nancy. Lovely to have you with us. Um, thank you. Especially as we thought we weren't going to get you and we were all of a panic. So nice that you're with us at last. Um, Novoyo, let's, let's start with you. I've just finished your book too, and what a, what a piece it is, what a piece of writing. But I think we need to find out a little bit more about you first, because it's your debut novel, novella, but you've been writing for some time. How long? Yes, um, I had my first short sto- published short story when I was 19, okay. that's some um, six years ago. Um, but I've been, I've been writing before that, um, some, just some general scribblings here and there. Um, Quite successfully, though. I mean, um, some general publishings here and there, too. <laughs> um, yes, yes. Um, in fact, I think that the piece that you wrote about your father was called A Tree and a Seed, and that appeared in a, in a literary quarterly? Yes, the Sentinel Literary Quarterly. Hmm. So you've, you've done well in terms of getting yourself out there. You're not just scribbling. <laughs> well, um, um, yes, it's been a, it's been a bit of a challenge, um, but you know, one writes, one sends work here and there, and um, one sees what happens. One does. But did did you, in this particular case, set out to be a writer? I mean, it was interesting that your father prophetically said, "I think there are signs that she might turn into a bibliophile." What did you train at? Um, um, my first degree is a BCom in economics okay. and finance from okay. Wits University, but um, you know, writing is just one of those careers that's very difficult to kind of you know put a finger on so it, it is something I've always wanted to do and be able to pursue um, but it's something that I've been pursuing as I've been going along and it's 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 you uh, matter of touch and go so mm, you, mm. you try and write and see where what happens more or less it feels like from what I've read just in this book it feels almost like it's it's also been a way of sort of um, recording your experiences um indeed indeed it mm. has it has um trying to cushion them through fiction as it were but yeah. um, yes yes I'm hoping they're not all your experiences <laughs> but, but, but tell us about what molded you tell me about your father and your mother your father uh, he's a lawyer intellectual but he's also a writer was he a big influence in terms of your writing um, I'd say um, he, he's someone whose um, approval uh, I would have liked to, to, to get. Um, well, he passed away when I was 11. Okay. Um, but, I mean, um, his, I always used to hear about him growing up, and I'd read his work, even though I didn't understand it at the time. Mm. And it was always a, a sort of inspiration. Um, my mother um, was always uh, the strict parent. Um, <laughs> and um, for a long time, she didn't uh, really understand the, the writing path. You know, understandably, mm. um, but um, I think she's come to understand um, 
you know how important it is to me and and that it's it's not too much of an out of the way sort of path to take yes it's amazing how important parents can be in their presence or absence i'm sorry that your father passed away when you were so young but somehow or another seems to have made an impact in your life um yeah definitely he has mm. he has mm. a tree and a seed your essay w- tell me a little bit about it um, I think it was sort of a, a reflection going back, um, I think memories or catharsis, a way of trying to perhaps deal with my father's present absence. Um, so um, I, I noticed when I wrote it, I actually inhabited um, the young me. I was the young me, but writing mm-hmm. now. Um, so it was a very emotional piece for me. Yeah, gosh, that must have been quite a piece to the experience of actually writing. It must have been quite a piece. And and finding a voice, and the voice that you've used in, well, certainly in Shadows, is is quite a tough one for a young woman like yourself. But tell us, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's get on to your experiences, because you were studying BCom. Are you still studying? Uh, no, no, I've finished my Done first that. degree. Okay, yes. okay. And are you working in the area of economics and finance? No. <laughs> um... Um, right after I finished my degree, I found myself uh, catapulted in, into writing, more or less. So my book was coming out, and then um, I got a scholarship to go and study a master's in creative writing at Iowa. Okay. So I have not actively used my first degree. Well, your your writing would have been, your your um, I mean, you are economics world's loss, but you certainly are the writing world's gain. <laughs> you, it seems like you must have read quite a lot, certainly observed a great deal. But what sort of things were you reading when you were young, aside from your father's rather difficult work? <laughs> um, growing up, I read the the normal teenage novels. I was a Nancy Drew fan, um, Enid Blyton. Um, John Christian, a lot of American fiction, oh. and it's only when I turned I think 19, so I got involved in a British Council Council Echoes of Young Voices project, and they were emphasizing African writing. So it's something I'd never actually given thought to, given pause to, and it's only then that I became interested in it. And so my reading taste changed to Chimamanda um, Ngozi Adichie, your James Baldwin, um, your Zakes Nda. Um, Franz Fanon, Dambuza Marichera. Oh, gosh, so you, t- you took on Africa's writing in a very concentrated way. Yes, yes, I did. Did you see yourself being part of that? Not at the beginning. No. Um, I was very anti-labels. Um, they frightened me. But I think as I came to read more of African fiction, um, I came to appreciate it, you know, and understand what I thought it was referring to in terms of my environment or our stories um, here in Africa. And let's let's focus a little bit on your story here in Africa because you're you're here in South Africa now. But what? Uh, how old were you when you left them? Um, no, um, I was 21. Okay. Yeah. Oh. And how was it? I mean, judging from your book, I imagine it was a fairly mixed uh, a, a mixed experience coming yes. down here. Well, um, I'd never been to South Africa, so mm. first I had a geographical shock. Um, the highways, it was very, uh, totally different experience. But one memory I remember was walking into a spa supermarket and I remember there was a shelf of bread and I stopped, I had the impulse to <laughs> to grab the bread and go in and hoard it, basically. And so um, it was a very absurd moment for me because, you know, deep down I knew the bread would be here tomorrow, but I think I'd been so used to that impulse back home that if you found anything on the shelves, grab as much of it as you can. And I think it was a very sad moment for me. Um, 
at, at that point. Well, uh, perhaps a wake-up moment too. Perhaps, yeah. I mean, it seems that you recognise that moment. <laughs> I can't remember which story, which one of the short stories is in, but you talk about um, somebody who's here in, in Zimbabwe and nobody, all the Zimbabweans who are down here in South Africa and they go back home and they never tell you the truth. They never tell you that they, they hired this fancy car to come back in and that they use language that they use here in South Africa way more than South Af- Africans do. It's, it's almost like when you go back to Zim, you have to prove something. Um, yes, um, that's you in paradise. That's, um, yes. That's yes, um, so you find there's always that need to perpetrate a form of success. Um, so subconsciously, every you find when it's time to go home, you always try and make sure that you're looking like a, you know a so-called picture of success. So, so that used to happen a lot, but I think now with so many Zimbabweans here, people are kind of more aware of you know the fact that South Africa, like any space, has its own challenges. The one of the other sort of one of the other short stories is I think for which you won um, it's Doctor S I think you had that published uh, you you won some prize for it yeah um, Doctor S yes yes and that is another story that of how tough it is to be a Zimbabwean here in South Africa is it what is it based on is it is it uh, Doctor S yeah <laughs> I mean let um, me explain that Doctor S is a psychiatrist um, well you tell us the story uh, well yes he's a psychiatrist and. A young Zimbabwean student named uh, Norma um, starts seeing him for a psychosomatic um, illness that's called conversion disorder. Um, it's 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 um, <laughs> it's one of my semi-autobiographical stories, hmm. but um, I mean, um, I guess it also I was looking at the, perhaps the psychological trauma um, that one can sometimes go through, um, looking perhaps both from Zimbabwean experiences and also acclimatizing to a new environment. Um, yeah. yeah, it's quite a sore story, I mean, a, a, aside from the, the conversion trauma, but it's interesting at the end of the story, I shouldn't really be giving it away, but I suppose at the end of the story, it's how, you know, how one invests in a relationship with a psychiatrist or some sort of counsellor and then they, they don't really know you so well at all and you've invested all this and they just sort of are for you they're just another client I suppose <laughs> quite hard that one <laughs> well I tell you what Novo you're going to take a quick break because then we're going to get on to the story in shadows which is called shadows and that is that's quite a story so we'll get to that just now stay with us you're listening to SFM Literature I'm talking to Novoyo Tsuman she is the author of a book called Shadows it's a novella, a novella and short stories the Durban International Film Festival takes over Durban in July from the 18th to the 28th with more than 170 films and over 300 screenings in 11 venues across the city offering the best in cinema from around the world as well as a feast of workshops, seminars and masterclasses for aspiring and professional filmmakers. Join me. Subin Boyer with other local and international stars for South Africa's biggest film festival. For more information, go to durbanfilmfest.co.za. The festival is principally supported by the National Lottery Distribution Trust Fund. In focus this week, after spending 10 years in jail, a father is found not guilty of raping his daughter. This incident raises questions about the testimonies of young children in our courts. And we visit the girl nicknamed Jackpot, one year since her gang rape in Johannesburg. Focus, incisive and insightful. This Sunday evening at half past six, only on SABC2. 
This is SAFM. And this is SFM Literature, and we're talking to Nobuo Suan. She's the author of a book called Shadows, which is both a novella and a collection of short stories, which are very, very powerful little short stories. But the big story, um, Shadows, Nobuo, in which you have to assume the voice of a young man. Why? Tell us about this story. <laughs> um, so um, I, I chose the male voice uh, because I felt it would... Um, better traverse the patriarchal society in which the story takes place. So it takes place in a township setting. So uh, first I'd written it as a woman, but I found um, her rebellion did not feel very authentic. Um, there were too many obstacles she had to overcome as a young woman in a township society. So I, f- I felt a uh, male voice would better help us to, to, sh- to show um, you know, the setting and the situation um, in which this young man was living in. Um, but I was hoping that we can interact with poison individual first and foremost, um, rather than just uh, a young man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, w- was it no quite difficult to put your head into into a male head? A male head. Not really. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I took him first and foremost to be an individual, but there were points where I'd have to just pause and try and um, think how he would react as a as a young man in certain situations. Um, with predetermined triggers for his reactions, you know, in a patriarchal society and whatnot. Yes, he's, I can't remember his name. What, what, what um, Mpo. Mpo, that's he's right. Um, the thing about Mpo is that he, it's, it's not just his story, it's, it's the story of his mother too, which is quite a tough story to tell. Are they based on people that you've known, stories that you've heard? Where have you found these characters? Um, they're a mish, I think. Um, mm. Some of people that I know, but uh, really a mixture also of stories I've heard and um, I think uh, certain experiences that um, are quite close to me but not really direct. Yeah. Yes. yes. I mean, she's um, well. She's a she's a sex worker, for want of another expression, isn't she? Yes. yes. Yeah. And she's. I mean, the strange thing about it, and I think I alluded to it right at the beginning, is despite the fact that these are quite quite harsh stories you've written, um, they're very lyrical. I mean, and Poe himself has quite a lyrical mind. <laughs> um, well, um, I think um, you know, language can be a way of trying to, I think, convey sometimes concepts which may be a bit difficult to um, perhaps swallow or handle and so I was hoping to use language as that form of sort of medium to you know to convey what you'd call a difficult story. It is a difficult story and it it is a difficult story because there's such difficult circumstances I mean here's his mother she's a sex worker they have no money there's all sorts of issues he gets involved in in a rally, um, there are quite a lot of political issues as well. Was it your intention to sort of make uh, make a comment about how life is? Well, I mean, obviously, <laughs> because that's what it's all about. But yes. were you saying something more? Um, well, um, in terms of the political elements, you know, I mean, Zimbabwe, I think, in the past decade, it's been quite difficult to remain, you know, un- unaffected by the politics that happen. So they seem to have a trickle-down effect. So I think that would have been quite difficult um, to write about this period without actually alluding to those things that happened. Because looking back, I felt they were, they were, they were, they were what affected people most directly. So, um, so you'd find someone's in a bread queue and, you know, 
alludes to the political situation or you know um, all sorts of things um, but I just basically wanted to tell the story of my country but I think I t- looked at it from someone who's now in South Africa maybe more sensitized to the abnormalities that were going on at the time yes and, and that continue to go on in some cases um, yes yes they do definitely do continue to go on in some cases yeah um, Let's just bring Mpo down here to South Africa. Um, um, you know, we talked about the, the difficulty of making that crossing yes. uh, before, but it seems that there are lots of stories of, uh, um, and I'm wondering if you maybe consciously interviewed other Zimbabweans here in South Africa to find out what their experience had been and how they'd handled it. Um, I am, well, I do know so many Zimbabweans here, mm-hmm. and some of the st- Norms' experiences are some experiences that I've heard other um, Zimbabweans alluding to. Um, I mean no, Nomsa is, is uh, Mpo's girlfriend who comes down here before. Yes, um, so you get to here and you're here for university and then when you, when you speak to other Zimbabweans you kind of get a sense of how fortunate actually you are in your own circumstances here and the sort of different um, lives that, that, that go on here that you never get to hear off back home that are never told back home. Um, which is sometimes very heartbreaking, mm. but um, yeah. And and the dreams that you might be maybe have. I think at one point, I'm not sure who it is who wanted to do a BA. Uh, I, I sort of read your stories and they've become a little bit sort of jangled in my mind. But that somebody who comes down here and dreams about doing a BA, uh, and yet knows that that BA would never be of any use. Um, yes, I think it's it's, it's symptomatic of uh, sort of unrealistic expectations that um, people at home sometimes had. You know, South Africa became the saving utopia, where I think people moving from one extreme in Zimbabwe and expected another extreme in South Africa, where the very act of being here symbolically meant that all your problems were solved and life was just one big perfect story. Um, so I think that was probably um, you know an awakening to you know the reality that there's nothing like perfect anyway. No, absolutely. The, uh, just thinking about uh, Zimbabwe as a, um, a sort of a, a nest or at least a sort of a source of many stories, and we hear many stories coming out of Zimbabwe. Your own uh, compatriot, No Violet Bulawayo, says of this book, it's fierce and unsentimental. Is there a lot of writing in Zimbabwe? I know there used to be, I'm not sure if there still is, the Zimbabwe Book Fair. But do you feel you're amongst um, a, a group of writers in, Zim- in Zimbabwe? Um, no, I think there's a lot of writing that's going on. Um, whether or not it's being published is another story. I think outlets and opportunities are what um, is lacking. But, I mean, Zimbabweans are writing um, their own different respective stories. Um, and, yeah, I know quite a few writers, um, and it's, it's, it's nice to join the fine tradition of writing, um, not only in Zimbabwe, but, I guess, in Africa and, and world rit- literature. Um, I always have a problem with labels, so yeah. Yeah. I wonder, Navoya, have you got a copy with you? Yes, yes, I do. Would you choose just a, just a short piece to read for us? Um, okay. Okay. And perhaps from, well, whichever one you like, perhaps from, from Shadows? Yeah, from Shadows. Yeah, why not? Okay. Okay, um, so I'm going to read... Um, Okay, so I'm going to read um, a chapter entitled Joburg Street. So okay. I'll read an excerpt from there. So this is when Paul is in South Africa and he's walking 
the streets of Joburg and he's just writing down what he, what he sees. A billboard shouts at me, big and bold. I almost stumble as I stare. Zimbabwe dollars are pasted on the board. Above it are the words, look at what Mugabe has done. The democracy of this place is like a thorn in the side. Oh, how they love us here. How they hate us here. Too many of us desperate here. You pick through the threads of your identity. What is it to be Zimbabwean in this place? To be Ndebele Zimbabwe in this place? You reach far back into the past and trace your origins back to the space that is now South Africa. Way back, way before King's legacy broke away from Shagazulu and herded his people into Matiwililand, in today's Zimbabwe. Oh, history is so cruel. Why didn't King's legacy just stay put in South Africa? But, 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 technically, if you trace history back far enough, then your roots are right here in South Africa. And so, somehow, that makes you, deep down, somewhere, South African. This is an important discovery among the lies that you will later tell yourself. South Africa is Africa's United States of America. This is your roundabout identity. It could well be your green card to the fresh waters of freedom. The Ndebele dialect is similar to South Africa's Zulu and Kosa. Is that not so? So, therefore, conclusively, you can blend into the space. But nobody wants us here. Nobody. Yes, gosh, then <laughs> there's so much more. It seems like it will be some time before Zimbabwe is um, out from under your skin. And I'm sure you'll never want it to be, but in terms of uh, subject matter for writing. Um, I think there's still so much to write about Zimbabwe, um, but at the same time, um, um, I'm very fascinated by South Africa, um, looking at it as a foreigner. There's, I think there's just so many interesting dynamics that interact in the space, um, which are big to be told. Like, um, well, for example, um, I think South Africa's interaction with the foreign is very interesting. Particularly if you look at the formal halls and the informal halls, um, I always find this this very interesting one-dimensional view of the foreigner in the formal halls of South Africa. Mm. And so, um, you know, living in communities where there's so many foreigners, so many foreigners, um, you hear interesting um, adverts such as, you know, let us know the South African who's contributing to your community and I always stop and wonder because there's just such a mesh there's so many um, people from different places living here and um, the interaction between foreigners themselves is very interesting I think it's got a lot, sort of a dog-eat-dog mentality as well um, so it, it, it kind of illuminates different dimensions of you know what being a foreigner is here yes and you've got a very uh, a very insightful um view about Nigerians. I can't remember which which story it was. It wasn't for the love of country. It's not that one. Um, and there's a great big Nigerian, fairly stereotypical, um, in the in the book. It sounds like you quite quite got into that one. Yes, you've enjoyed it. Um, I just want to ask you also about well, two things. Firstly, the response of other Zimbabweans to your book. I would imagine that people would, perhaps other people from Zimbabwe would fall upon it and say, yes, yes, I know, I know, I feel exactly what you're saying. Have, have you had that, a lot of that sort of response? Um, there's been a lot of humour, I think, from many Zimbabweans. They found, um, it's very interesting, what some South Africans have found to be rather tragic and sad, many Zimbabweans have found to be a bit humorous and perhaps it's remembering themselves in certain moments. Um, 
So a lot of people, I've, I've had some people come back and say, oh, you know, this part here was funny, you know, this cute part when the king for bread, you know, it reminds me of such and such a moment, um, which seems to elicit laughter more than anything else. Mm. Mm. But it's it's nice to be able to write something that other people can so very strongly relate to one way or another. And just talking of other people, going back to you as a writer and the way in which you have the, the way in which you write and have written, I know that uh, I think you were talking about the British Council project at one time, which was yes. called Identity and Diversities Project, which culminated into a, a, a young people's anthology, Echoes yes. of Young Voices. How do you feel, sort of, being part of uh, of a group of young writers? Do you feel that like you're a whole new movement, a whole new collection of voices? Well, um, it's, it's certainly exciting to be part of, uh, of a collection of voices, as you say. Um, at the end of the day, I always think writing is a bit of a solitary exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I always like to think of it in those terms. So it's, it's, it's a lot of you yourself and maybe making friends with your characters. Um, Shame. <laughs> <laughs> for, for a time. Um, yes. It's definitely exciting, I think, to be a writer in this time in the world um, with social media and the internet changing a lot of dynamics um, as, you know, to, to writing and connecting between writers in different countries. Yes, I'm just thinking that every writer should perhaps go and see a psychologist or a psychiatrist so that he can talk to all of you, (laughs) you and all your characters. The the other thing about writing being a solitary exercise that I see that just last year you were part of something called the Sextet Pen, which, just to explain, it was a a group of six-person team. What did you have to do? Yes, um, so this was the Chain Gang Challenge for the Short Story Day Africa for 2012. Um, So six writers, um, each team had six writers, and you write in 30 minute spurts so I start a story and wherever it's left off the next writer takes it on right to the very end and then um, the readers online had to vote for the story which they liked the most and how was that? it was fun Um, we won the challenge Um, so it was a mixture of countries Zimbabwe Uganda and Nigeria um, so six young writers from different parts of the continent um, and we connected online and that's how we wrote our story. Now if you have to just write something in 30 minutes there wouldn't be too much time to do a lot of crafting and I'm going to use this word and that addictive and you know put it in inverted or not you just would have to write. Was that quite an education for you to see what, what came out when you were under pressure? Yes it was quite uh, <laughs> quite daunting especially trying to merge the different voices but it was great fun and um, it was definitely a lesson, a humbling lesson in, in exactly how much goes into writing. Um, yes. I think a great deal of self goes into writing. What about yourself, just lastly? Have you got something else? I don't know why people always ask a writer <laughs> if they're writing something new, like it's, it's mandatory, you have to <laughs> write another one. But after a debut novel or novella, always difficult to come up with something new. Have you already got something? Um, um, yes, yes. Um, I'm working on a new uh, novel that's uh, set primarily in South Africa. <laughs> but mm. um, um, that's all I can say for now. Yes. One's never sure. Does one always write one thing at a time? Or are you perhaps busy with other short stories, other projects, like the Chain Story the Challenge? Chain story. Um, well, um, mostly um, I try to concentrate on one thing at a time. Um, but then you find certain pieces um, that one has written um, a while back can come and demands one's attention. Mm. But it's kind of jarring, I think, to try and concentrate on too many projects. 
Yeah. Um, yes. Especially something such as a novel so demanding in terms of time and and you know building up a story. Yeah. Well, I, I've had no doubt with your youth and energy that there will be many, many more. It certainly seems like there are many, many more. And uh, talking of 30-minute stories, I mean, I've heard recently about a project called Writing a Book in 40 Hours. Now, how's that for a pressure? <laughs> <laughs> Hope to hear a little bit more about it right on this program. Now, Boya, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. I really enjoyed your book. So thank you very much, and good luck with the next one. Eh? Thank you. Thank Nancy. you. Take care. Novoyo Rosa Tuma and a book is called Shadows. It is, in fact, a novella and a collection of, of excellent little short stories. So if you're looking for something to read that's going to really transport you, uh, do get hold of it and it's published by Quella. You're listening to SFM Literature in a minute. We're going to be talking about open access, so do stay with us. <laughs> 